All right, the 2023 World Cup downhill season is finally here. It's been a long wait, but this weekend we're getting going in Lenzerheide, and I'm joined by Chris Kilmurray to get the lowdown in our first Max's Tyres pre-race show of the year. Maxis is synonymous with racing and is the name that comes to mind when you think of performance. It's no surprise then that they've won more than any other brand in the history of World Cup and EWS racing. No matter where or how you ride, Maxis has got the tyres for you with a wide range of tread patterns, casing and compound options. On my enduro bike, I run the DHR2 Max Terra Double Down on the rear, paired with the Astagai Max Grip up front in their slightly lighter XO Plus compound. The downhill bike has got DHR2 front and rear, both DH casing and with their super grippy Max Grip compound. Both setups are working great for me. You can check out the entire range of Maxxis tyres over at maxis.com and find the tyres at your local Maxxis dealer. You can also give them a follow on Instagram where they're at Maxxis Bike. All right, it's time to check in with Coach the Stars, Chris Kilmurray, to find out about the unique nature of the Lenzerheide track, the significance of the format changes, new technology, returning riders, and much, much more. So without further ado, here's our Max's Tires pre-race show for Lenzerheide with Chris Kilmurray. Chris Kilmurray, it's been a long off-season. Uh, racing is finally upon us. We are sitting here recording the pre-race or pre-season podcast for the first World Cup of 2023 taking place this weekend in Lenzerheide, Switzerland. How's things with you, man? You must be excited to get back to it. Yeah, definitely excited to actually get back to it, as you've just said. Um, 40 weeks, I think, since we last raced, which is a lot. Seen as Mostly 50, a year. 52 yeah. weeks in a year. <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy. And now it's going to get condensed because obviously we've got, you know, well, three World Cups in a month now and Crankworks in between if you do Crankworks. Um, so yeah, I think we've waited a long time and now we're just going to be, um, ambushed and onslaughted by races, I think. Excellent. Well, it's a good problem to have. Um, so yeah, we're off to Lenzerheide for the first race. Just give us a bit of a reminder about the track there. What is that Lenzerheide track like? Um, she is pretty fast, um, a little bit awkward and very short. It's the shortest track we have on, on the World Cup series uh, for now anyway that might change later this year um, but for now it's the shortest track and it's the only track last year where the elite men went sub three minutes okay so it's an interesting one but since 2021 um, the the taping changes and then last year we had a brand new section which the the public didn't get to see on, on Red Bull TV at the time uh, but we did have a brand new section where after the very first kind of say 80, 80 to 100 meters of track, uh, the track went left into the woods instead of staying right under the lift. So that really, you know, improved um, improved the, the quality of the track for the riders. They just enjoyed having to figure out a new section, enjoyed having some loam. And like I said, the 2021 changes just in terms of how things were taped, insides were left open. Um, steep gnarly sections were left there technical section over the wall was taped super wide so you had lots of line choice so actually what was once a pretty mundane bike park-esque track with terrible corners that had no support in the last two seasons has turned into a really really good racetrack that the riders actually seem to enjoy and really a, a tough one to to win yeah there's a lot of um there's limited margin for error i guess and kind of quite can get quite loose is that right like especially in the more bike parky sections of the track like traction is not necessarily easy to find so last year we had a lot of quite a bit of moisture earlier in the week quite a bit of rain and just generally the hill stayed pretty pretty damp at different at different periods um and you can see that from the junior times and race day that the morning it was pretty damp 
and a lot of the tree cover and the shape, the angle of the hill that kind of faces northwestish. So it doesn't actually get as much sun as you'd like at times, um, which means it's quite slick. And then the opposites, um, the same. The opposite is the same in Lenzer Heide in that when it gets too dry, it gets even more slick. Uh, whereas when it gets dry, it's super easy to push hard and fast, but it does mean that errors happen really, really quickly. So yeah, it's an interesting little bit of a hill. Um, the weather in that part of the uh, the Alps um, is pretty variable. I think we've been there in September a few times and the weather has been stable, you know, cool in the morning, warm in the day, cool at night. Um, June, July weather can be anything, you know. So it's not the, like we just said, not the easiest track to win for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, I looked at the weather forecast this morning and it's forecast for thunderstorms like every day this week, basically. And obviously that's a mountain forecast. So these things don't always come to uh, fruition but is that a good thing or a bad thing for lens of hydro if it, like, like you say maybe a bit of moisture is a good thing yeah i was trying to well a good thing bad thing i think the one of the worst case scenarios is you know torrential rain for a portion of the day because then you get you know variable racing you get variable practice it's not just the most ideal uh, i think the general kind of demeanor in the pits and the vibes all week long uh, are always better when the weather's stable but everyone's so used to it now. And like we well, like we did in Lourdes with the test event, you know, everyone just got out there, it rained exactly like that at about 1, 1 or 2 p.m. in Lourdes and everyone just got back to the pits, got tires changed, got kit on and just went back up the hill just, just to, to replicate these sorts of scenarios. Um, I was trying to think, I, I didn't actually go through the, the dates and I should have, but I didn't go through the dates to see when um, we've ever, if or when we raced Lenzerheide in, the, in June before. Because June, obviously, across the Alps is like, it's the change of seasons. Uh, there's a lot of moisture in the air. There's a lot of moisture in the ground. You get a hot weather during the day. You get a lot of cumulus clouds accumulate in the valleys, at the end of the valleys in the afternoon. And then you get massive thunderstorms like we've, we've had all week here in Morzine. Um, classic kind of June alpine weather. So if it does happen this week, especially with like tight practice times, um, junior qualies early in the week, semi-finals, finals, finals <laughs> all the unknowns on top of the unknowns. You know. yeah. I'm going to have the calculator out, the umbrella out. The <laughs> You'll be a busy man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Are there any are there any key key sectors on the track as it sort of exists at the moment? I think we've seen a lot of people make either big gains or big losses in that bottom sector. I think there's some intricacy in that, like final tabletop getting the landing, getting the turn, like dodging the poles through yeah, into the so final like, drop. But. If we if we work back up, let's say, so we go sector five first, which is the one you just talked about, the one closest to the finish line, starts at like the second last bridge kind of crossing that the cross-country track goes under. And that's real short, like 20-ish seconds um, for most of the riders. Um, there's not actually a lot of time to be gained because it's so short but it is really real easy to make a big mistake and lose unnecessarily large amounts of time in such a short sector. Um, so percentage-wise, uh, because it's a short sector, you can't really make much, but you can definitely lose your race there or make it. And I'm trying to think off the top of my head, 2021, it might have been Amory lost the race, basically, or someone made a huge mistake in 21 off the top of my head. I can't remember who on that last bridge just double-cased it, basically, mistimed everything, mistimed the braking, mistimed every, every last bit of it. Um, because everyone's worried about the exact opposite, which is the overshoot. Uh, so it's key. I don't. You can't really. 
you can't win the race there, um, but you can definitely like solidify a victory or squeak ahead of someone else by doing a good job in sector five. Then above that, sector four, which is the famous, what was the Mitas wall section. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to be called this year. So that section is taped super wide now, or was, and obviously it's it's you know, to be seen how ESO tape things uh, this year. But I think what we saw in Lourdes and how the lack of tape, let's say, that is that is possible now with the new course markings, um, it's probably going to be super wide. And there's you know a couple of inside lines there kind of run wide in the entry to the wall um, and go inside inside, which Reese Wilson pioneered 2021 and didn't really make work because he tried to hide it in practice so didn't actually practice it as well as he could have uh, but Finn made a real good job of it last year and you know made up over a second on the majority of the field in that one small um, little section of track and then further back up from that that whole section there's a couple of inside outside options there's the whale tail drop off which is the start of sector four so there's, there's definitely time to be made there if you do a fin on it but across the board not many people actually made up time it was pretty equal throughout there it's the next steep section above that where we saw some huge uh, do or die maneuvers. And it was actually teammates, last year's winners, Amory and Miriam, that risked the biscuit 100% and managed to get the braking done at the, at the bottom of that real steep section, which we're going to see in Vital Roll and all over Instagram this week, probably, if it's, if it's in the track, which you'd assume it is because that's kind of pure downhill. Um, so that steep section, there was an inside-outside option, a middle line, which never really got burned in properly. And it was getting your braking done and actually carrying speed around the bottom of that section that was really important last year. So the the section itself, you know, I don't know if we can say the section was important, but how Miriam and Amory wrote it in comparison to the competition um, made it important for them, at least. You know, Amory put in about 1.2 seconds, 1.2 seconds in the space of 30 seconds or less into Finn, um, which is, you know, over half of Finn's deficit to the victory last year, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and the same huge. for Miriam, you know, Miriam just dominated the whole field in there last year and she won every sector last year. So every sector was important to Miriam. Yeah. And then, yeah, further up from that, we've got like that jumpy kind of motorway section, a little bit of awkward woods that you don't see in TV. Uh, and then the entry to the, the upper woods, let's call it, or the middle woods off the, the step up jump, uh, the full gas step up and all of that, like in Make or break, definitely not. But I think, as we said at the start of the show, Lenzer height is so short that everywhere is important. And if you dig through the, the main stats from last year, uh, no one in the top five had a sector position outside of top 15. So basically you had to kind of, you had to have a few blistering sectors. You had to be on it somewhere. And if you weren't on it somewhere, you had to be pretty good everywhere. And if you weren't pretty good everywhere, you were nowhere to be seen. So, yeah. Yeah, it is an, it's an interesting track in as far as it is, like you say, super short. The times are very tight. It's actually a pretty rough uh, choice for the first race for these riders to shake down this new format, right? Because everyone wants to get through into that semi-final final, but we're literally talking like point point a little bit of a second and you're out of that top 60, you know, quite quickly. Hey? It's a, it's a yeah. tough track. For sure. I think we, we saw some like, oh, you know, kind of expected gaps between first and second, maybe between first and fifth, you know, all that stuff, that sort of stuff in terms of, you know, statistics was kind of in the ballpark. It's when you go further down the field and, you know, everyone's level and everyone's support structure is real close now, that that's when you start to see, you know, on the right side or the wrong side of a second, like we always talk about. So, yeah, like you said, I think with the new, the whole new layout of the week, having to qualify, 
having to you know make it through semis having to go straight back up the hill get back into the mindset of going executing the finals I think in terms of how the points are going to lay out and who's going to be leading the overall and who's going to be in a good position in the overall after this race it's so hard to impossible to predict at this stage you know impossible the turnarounds are so tight if weather comes in oh I don't even know what if you get a little injury you can't like you can't sit out everything until race day until finals run if you're protected you know that sort of thing like we used to do all that sort of stuff is is a challenge you know yeah definitely so let's talk a little bit about protection because the the rules have changed again recently on that what's your take on how to get protected as it currently stands <laughs> same, same as always go fast <laughs> it's always that it's always just please go fast um, go as fast as humanly possible now so yeah only recently I think what um, four weeks ago there thereabouts we, we've had the change up in the rules again and what, what drove the rule change I don't really know maybe it's it's TV as far as I'm aware the, the riders the majority of the riders wanted limited to no protection just so everyone's kind of in the same boat for this new this new format this whole new series really you know uh, and literally the exact opposite has happened so maybe it's it's to get you know guaranteed faces on television maybe it's just to keep things a little bit calmer in terms of um massive issues for high profile riders and stuff in the first handful of races i, I don't really know but basically what we got now for semi-finals um <clears throat> top five elite women top 10 elite men they have their number boards uh, from last year so that's the top five elite women from 2022 standings the top 10 elite men from 2022 standings they have their number mm-hmm. boards so they're going to keep the same number it seems uh, all year long so that's going to make identifying them a little bit easier because i used to do mental gymnastics every race trying to <laughs> identify number boards and then uh, the best ranked riders which is the same system we've, we've always had the best ranked riders until we have 10 women and 20 total men protected for semi-finals so that's basically very similar to how you were protected for uh, finals last year from qualifying Okay. Uh, for finals, we've got the the lucky trio in both categories. So we've got top three men, top three women from 2022 standings who have got themselves a free pass. And already we've got um, Miriam Nicole who won't be taking her slot. So no one will replace Miriam. Okay. Because um, that's how the rules are written and they've always been written like that. So that's, that's it for, um, for the protected all year. And then after that, we've got the best ranked in the overall standings until the top five women and top 10 men. So that's a lot of men. It's 10 men protected um, for for finals. So they get protected, you know, a whole, a whole way through the weekend, which is a big burden off your shoulders. It means you can try a lot of things. It means you can risk mechanicals. It, it's obviously, you don't want to risk mechanicals when you've got points on the line. But when you're trying to figure out, you know, your, your own personal strategy and approach to how hard you can push back to back with you know an hour and a half two hours between the runs and that sort of thing i think having protected status early on in the season is going to allow you to experiment for sure yeah definitely but do you think there's a potential downside to that like if you are protected and you can not cruise but you can slightly take your foot off the gas and then maybe it's hard to find that pace in the final run yeah really really tough to know i think if like speaking about it in absolute terms like that's a bit of a challenge because everyone's there's a lot of individuals and everyone's so well trained now. Like everyone rides. I was actually, we were talking about this actually, I can't remember with who earlier in the week. Um, some of the, the, the professional riders that were here in Morsing training, and there was a few of us chatting about it, just how much more downhill everyone seems to do. And, you know, we were kind of, we were kind of like thinking, oh, is it just Instagram and social media that gives us that impression? But really from, from my experience, if I compare the amount of downhill the riders I coach do, you know, or did 10 years ago compared to now, it's way more now. 
Like yeah. I, I write less training programs now because we have so many, we've basically got training menus at times where we just, you know, tag on two or three sessions in a week or two weeks because there's so much downhill happening over periods of the year. So I think everyone rides so much that they know their limits. They know how to, they know how to approach, you know, runs and how to get the best out of themselves and their equipment. When things start to go a little bit sideways is when um, the big bag, big bad ego comes out and you see your name compared to everyone else's name. And there's a time beside you and the time is all about your worth and your value, even though it shouldn't be. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's when things will start to change a bit. You know, you do semis, you have, you approach like you want to approach it. You have a sick run or you feel like you executed well and you're, you know, four seconds back, two seconds back, eight seconds back. You're on the bubble of not qualifying, whatever. And you, you kind of see your, yourself as a top, you know, top five woman or a top 10 guy or whatever it is. So yeah, there's lots, there's lots of cool things to figure out. I think a lot of us, I think riders included, we're pretty excited just to get going because get going yeah. but like you said lenser hides maybe not the easiest place to get going in especially the track you come out you've got one terrible left hand corner it's not even a burn out of the staircase you got the rocks that you need to hop blind and they're going to be wet for group b practice and then you got some you know weird road crossings that are gravelly and dirty for the first hour of practice and then you got well last year we had a very tight left hand corner that required you to ride it like you don't want to ride it to get to get the next off camber on a high line not a low line and so it was just like an instant snakes and ladders make this choice to make that choice easier and that's kind of what you're being dealt for the first race so everyone will be fine We're, they're all professional but it's definitely not as easy as rolling into the first uh, corners of some other tracks you know definitely and do you do you think um riders are in a a positive mindset around the changes now like there was there was a lot of talk in the off season all behind closed doors but there's been all sorts of rumors kicking around i guess and obviously some people weren't massive fans of the changes i guess it's going to benefit people now who are like okay i accept this i can go do it do you think most people are in that that mindset yeah the majority have accepted it you have to accept it you got no choice really now if you're still battling away like there's no time to battle now there's no there's no time even you know even for the riders in the rider you riders union who have a voting structure now and whatever else to to be able to make decisions amongst themselves and come to the ESO with with their decisions or suggestions the, the time available for that stuff once you start track walk juniors get on track elite riders that want some feedback from juniors might go up trackside to have a look you have three hours practice no more time training straight into qualies the next morning the turnaround from the turnaround then from practice to semi-finals is tiny absolutely tiny if you have any mechanical issues or body issues or need to eat or whatever else and then the turnaround from semis to finals is an hour and 50 minutes or two hours at best so and you, you've got the issue then of not even knowing if you've qualified if if you've had a, a poor qualifier you leave early and for semis uh, or if, if you've had a you know a poor ranking you leave early you, you have a, a poor quality you leave early in semis and then you don't know if you've qualified for finals until 30 more people come down, that sort of thing. Like there's not much time in the week now to do anything other than accept the changes and get to work, you know? Yeah. So I think everyone's kind of just like, look, let's see how it goes. There might be some people still grumbling behind the scenes or grumbling between themselves, but let's see how it goes. And, and so far the TV product for the cross country has looked pretty good. Um, there's definitely teething troubles as there always will be. And there'll be commentary ups and downs, whatever else, but that was always like that free caster red bull ups and downs that was just how it is so yeah i think once we get rolling everyone's going to be a lot a lot happier and i suppose it seems anyway from my perspective the eso are totally open to suggestions and ideas 
and they want to make it work. It's a big investment for them, for Warner Brothers Media and for everyone else. It's a big investment for the teams. It's a big investment for everyone. Uh, especially staying in Lenzerheide, the first uh, the first race, it's going to cost teams about ten grand in accommodation alone. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think everyone just wants to make it work. So everyone's accepted it. Just less this time, just to get to work. You know. Yeah, definitely. And a, a lot of teams have been kind of practicing working around the new schedule changes, um, either at the test event at the Red Bull Performance Camp. I know Syndicate and Union were in Morzine this week, kind of running simulations as well and throwing random problems at the mechanics and trying to get things done in the time. It looks like a lot of teams are ending up with two race bikes ready to go, which is obviously another overhead, um, but gives them a yeah. bit of a uh, get out of jail free card, I guess, if anything goes wrong between those tight session timings. Do you think, do you think those uh, like practice runs are super useful for people and teams that maybe haven't taken the time to do that are going to, going to struggle? Like, it seems like it's such a big change. I mean, there's, I don't think there's any drawbacks to doing a, a mock race, a race simulation, whatever you want to call it. There's, there's no drawbacks. I think just like in, in most cases with training, you're never going to replicate racing in the race environment. You're never going to replicate the actual exact demands of having 200 people trying to get on the same ski lift of having not enough room to do your warm up at the top of having a b c or d happen and the craziest of crazy weird mechanicals happen like we saw with greg menar snapping a frame before qualifying in val de Sole a few years ago you know with amory's explosion race morning in andorra last year those sorts of things like amory's crash last year if if that was this year he, he might not have made semi-finals this is not enough time anymore you know so i think doing a race simulation is definitely you know it's, a smart move and was really important and a lot of the riders i coached that did one um uh, people i know obviously like syndicate here in Un union that did one only a couple of days ago and um, got a lot of benefit from it I, I had a rider i coach on his team do one uh, race day yesterday and uh, he he cut some spokes with uh, snips after <laughs> i get after i gave him the kind of oh what kind of mechanicals are you going to have today like jokingly and he was like oh great idea <laughs> so he slipped some spokes um to make sure the mechanic had a bit of work to do so people have you know People have definitely been trying. I think it's it's definitely it's the kind of experience you're going to lean on, like like any training. It's just training at the end of the day. It's it's conditioning for the specific demands of of your event and the logistic and organizational demands are part of that at this level. And I definitely, like you said, though the teams with bigger budgets, I know teams that are are going to struggle to have um, a trainer bike, a turbo bike in the pits to cool down, as well as leave one at the top. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's just teams that do not have enough bikes, enough infrastructure, especially for three, four, five riders. Uh, so they're going to have to get creative in that fashion. So on one side of things, I think we're going to see a bit of a void, a bit of a gap between top teams and small teams. We're going to see a, a Red Bull Racing versus Williams, uh, Repsol Honda versus Grassini Honda kind of situation, you know, which motorsports have known since day one. But just like we see in motorsports, sometimes the smaller teams innovate and adapt, you know, quicker than the bigger teams with small little adaptations that then, that then get, you know, brought on as, as standards in the sport. So we may see that now. You know, even joking like BMX, for whatever reason, BMX racing, you know, riders and racers travel light and they, they've been bringing long seat posts for BMX race bikes to races for cool downs and warm ups since donkey's years, probably 30 years. You'll see long seat posts. And I was joking about it with one of the riders I coached yesterday because his team may or may not have enough turbo bikes available for warm ups, cool downs, all that. So he's just like long seat post. It's going in the downhill bike. I'll have a spare downhill bike down there. So, you know, the spare downhill bike that's going to be used for massive catastrophes is also going to be the cool down bike now. So yeah. 
that's that sort of innovation and little you know solutions i think we're going to see a lot of so that's going to be cool yeah definitely and i i just thought about it as kind of tight turnarounds and getting used to the feel of the day but like watching some of the coverage over the last week or so from various teams like it's more subtle there's little things like even just being able to get enough nutrition enough food into the athletes in those really condensed uh periods can be quite tricky especially if, i guess if you struggle with nerves a bit and eating's not easy on a race day it's that sort of stuff's even harder right yeah totally and i, I think the nerve side of things i think a lot, a lot of riders will have you know the same kind of excitement slash nerves arousal whatever you want to call it in fancy terms pre-semis the the turnaround between getting to the bottom figuring out whether you've qualified for finals going to the pits cooling down getting the bike prepped getting the body prepped trying to get food in all of that is so quick that the the chance for nerves pre-finals is probably reducing uh, or different for sure so there's so many little variables and i think you just have to have as many options on the table options for food options for bikes wheels built bodies prepped kit ready fresh knee guards you know what i mean you like whatever i suppose you want to try or whatever you need to uh to try to improve performance or keep performance in in the bracket that you're used to as a racer is is going to be important it's going to be super important to have to have all the options open so then you can start to whittle down what is and isn't necessary you know yeah, it's going to reward well-organized, well-oiled teams, I guess, of which there's definitely uh, yeah. quite a few these days and a lot that have spent a lot more time together in the off-seasons in the last couple of uh, off-seasons, I think. Like teams yeah, are sure. maybe working better together as units. And I think like, especially, this, you know, the syndicate is a good example. They they recently released that road rules project, which looked like them having a lot of fun down under in uh Australia and New Zealand and doing all these competitions but actually from a team's perspective like from a cultural team perspective spending that much time together like having fun doing stupid things being vulnerable in front of each other that's only going to help when fans and uh, dog feces comes together and they've got problems to solve as a group like working together well is going to be really important I think yeah absolutely sharing information sharing solutions sharing resources, all that sort of thing. And, and there is a couple of the top teams that don't really operate as, as a unit. They operate as well-supported individuals, kind of maybe motorsport-esque at times. So it, it will be super interesting to see if those teams um, come together a bit more as the season progresses because they have to, or if, the, if they've managed to figure out that a slightly more individualized, you know, rider unit, rider has mechanic, has coach, has whatever, if that approach works, or like you said, the more kind of convivial, Santa Cruz, FMD Racing, you know, a real good example of, of a team that always works together. Yeah. Um, and FMD Racing, for example, is one of the teams, you know, similar to the syndicate that has a good balance, junior, elite females, elite male. Mm -hmm. And that sort of thing, you know, being able to share information between the different practice sessions, you know, forward and back, um, being able to share information after qualies for a junior, after semis for a woman, that sort of thing. So it's going to be super interesting to see how the team units, yeah, um, deal with the variables, deal with all the, the sharing of insight information and everything else. And like we said a few minutes ago, it's just exciting to get going. 40 100%. weeks, man. <laughs> yes, yeah, nearly a year of not racing. But, yeah. and you, uh, you sent me a graph over the weekend that was pretty interesting. So last year there was a massive improvement from uh, qualies to finals in race times, somewhere in the region of five seconds, which is abnormally large, on a track where the margin is super tight. Like, what? any thoughts as to what's going on there? Yeah, well, like, I don't know what really for Lenzerheide. It's, it's an interesting one. So you'll often see, like, say, if track conditions stay the same, we'll see about a, 
you know, a three to six second improvement in finals time for the winner from mm-hmm. qualities to finals. If the track is, you know, same conditions or pro- progressing slightly in, in terms of better. But across the board, to get an average improvement of almost six seconds on a track that's only three minutes was a little bit of an outlier. And I think it was that brand new section last year was definitely underbaked. Okay. Uh, so sector one had a brand new section, which you saw in, in, you know, Instagram clips and social media stuff and vital raw and places like that, but you didn't actually see on Red Bull TV. So that was a, a factor in it. But like you suggested, you know, having a look at the sector as well, people just improved everywhere. So the track definitely dried out a bit, got better. We see that from the junior times. The juniors were a little bit back compared to usual. Um, and I, honestly, I don't know. It was a mid-season race last year. It was round four last year, right smack bang in the middle of the season. Um, and I have no idea what, why everyone was so lethal, keen in the finals. I think, I think track conditions definitely definitely played a, played a role. But And then there were some riders, you know, outliers. The women's field is, is full of outliers and full of um, individuals that skew the data because it's such a small amount. You know, there was 15 in finals. Now we've only got 10, which means the data is going to be even more ridiculous. But, for example, I think Miriam last year improved from qualities to finals by over 11 seconds. And she didn't, she didn't crash or anything in finals. I think, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember speaking to her. If I do remember correctly, she just had a really sloppy run in, in qualifying and was really angry at herself for having such a sloppy run, especially because Cam, Cam Balanche at that stage had won all the races up to that point, so or most of them. So everyone was kind of like, oh, Cammy's running away with it. And then it was full flip in finals. Cammy had a pretty sloppy finals and Miriam had an amazing one. So yeah, an interesting track for sure. Super interesting. Hard to do very well. Definitely. I mean, well, let's talk a bit about the women's category because I think it's going to be pretty interesting um, this coming weekend. There's a lot of things going on there. And like you say, this this reduction to 10 riders, which is pretty tight, I think, and would be good to see more ultimately. But we've got Rachel Atherton announcing that she's uh, coming back. She's spent a year of intensive uh, dovey laps getting ready to go. She's back into training with Alan Milway. So we, as ever, will be interesting to watch how Rachel gets on sixth place last year off the back of no training, basically, I think. So that would be, be interesting. Uh, Tani's back. She's made some pretty impressive comebacks in the past. I think coming back from uh, injury to a silver medal at Worlds in Mont Saint Anne in 2019. Um, but 19, yeah. Miriam's out. Did, did you say Eleonora Farina has got a broken collarbone as well? Yeah, Eleonora broke her collarbone uh, gravel riding, I think she said on social media a few weeks back. So she's probably not too far off being fixed now. So um, miss this race, maybe be back for home race in Val de Soli. Maybe not. I have no idea. It'd be interesting to see. Hopefully she, she, I'm sure she'll show her face at the races pretty soon. So it'll be good to good to see her back. Definitely. And then we've got um, Hattie Harnden's been doing a little bit of downhill this year. I think potentially with eyes on a home world championship. She won the first national I think she was eighth at the Fort William National slash Mini World Cup. Um, there's a gap in the enduro schedule uh, that could potentially yeah. facilitate her racing at Lenzerheide and again, could be a threat for that one of those top 10 spots. So yeah, thoughts on the women's category? Like there's a, there's a lot going on and there's not many places to be, uh, to be taken. No, I think almost potentially for the first time. Last year was super competitive, but last year we were missing Tane and Marine for the majority of the year because Marine broke her, broke her back in, in Leo Gang. Tani was out after round one. Um, you know, Tani was in the podium at the first race and then out for the rest of the season. So we missed a few racers um, last year. Frida uh, Ronning had a concussion after round three, I think it was last year, round four onwards. She didn't race. 
Um, and some some riders dipped in, dipped out, like Louisiana Ferguson. That's another you know another rider who's definitely progressing. And Jess Blewett, you know, started the year coming back from I think a broken collarbone it was, um, and you know slowly progressed to be pretty fast by the end of the season. And you know, podium rider. I think she finished like you know top five the last couple of races. Um, so I don't really know what to think. All I know is I want to see the times on the board <laughs> from qualies and semifinals before I start to get my head around who's who's actually got what pace and why because like if if you go briefly through say the top 10 from last year you got Camille Balanche, Miriam Nicole, Valentina Hull, Nina Hoffman, Eleonora Farina, Harasnik, Blewett, Vidman, uh, Jonset, Anna Newkirk. Then we have Marion Cabarou who's back, she was ranked 11th last year. Uh, Seal van der Velden who's you know first year um, elite last year, Michaela Parton, Louisiana Ferguson, Mathilde Bernard who was injured again last year, but is super fast, young French racer. Uh, Tani's back, Rachel's back, and then we've got uh, four of the very quick junior females who are moving up to elite. So that's going to give us 16, maybe 17 riders that are super, super capable. So you got super capable. So you got, you know, Phoebe Gale, Gracie Hemstreet, uh, Isabella Yankova, and Jenna Hastings, um, who are super capable. So that's already 16 off my count. Then we add in... Uh, riders that you just don't know how far they've progressed or you add in kind of unknowns like Frida Ronning coming back from a concussion who's who's had some good results in the past um, and then like I said yeah a couple of unknowns so we could be potentially looking at 20 capable riders for 10 spots you know so you know I remember working with Tane you know say 7, 8, 10 years ago and you might have had 4 riders fighting for the podium if that makes sense yeah so like you would have four riders that are really going to battle it out and the times are going to be somewhat close. And then from five to 15, the time gaps could be enormous. Whereas now we just don't know. We've got 20-ish elite women, all with good support, who are ready for, you know, big things. So I'm I'm super, super excited. It's going to be a really interesting category. And, you know, Cami Balanche, Miriam, uh, Cami Balanche, Valentina Hull, and um, um, her name <laughs> eludes me briefly, um, Nina Hoffman, who I've just yeah. actually seen riding all the way in here in Morsey. Like the three of them have kind of had, you know, stress-free, injury-free, trouble-free seasons the last two seasons. You know, Valley's had her ups and downs like you've talked about with her on the podcast, but those three especially are definitely going to be on it, I think. And then everyone else is just going to be looking to, to build pace as the first couple of races go on. So, so exciting. Yeah. And Rachel and Valley, I believe, were on the same time at the uh, small... Uh, race at the rebel performance camp so yeah three, three tenths of a second between them yeah uh, these kind of things i like to know so i found out <laughs> <laughs> i guess can't read a whole lot in because it's rachel's no. local track it's a we don't know how hard valley was pushing but you know i think riders like rachel yeah, more, and, even less so a local track more so that it's not a world cup that's why you can't read into it yeah okay fair but i think riders with yeah. with um maybe limited expectation both externally and on from themselves coming in you know Tani's coming back from injury and she's made it made it clear she doesn't really know where she's going to stack up Rachel's coming in off you know not a perfect training she's got you know time taken up being a mum and all this kind of stuff but both riders that are super capable and maybe that like lack of pressure just helps the performance in a way we've seen that in the past eh? yeah totally and maybe even more important for for Tani and Rachel specifically is the amount of experience both of them have and, and how much they like racing each other as well. So <laughs> old blood, old beef. So it's going to be really cool. And both of them, you know, have, have changed and matured so much. 
Tani has had you know three pretty pretty substantial um, injuries and breaks from racing the last kind of four years. Uh, Rachel's had the same with the Achilles and then motherhood. So yeah, those two especially are going to definitely have the potential to throw the cat among the pigeons, so to speak. And then you know maybe people like Veronica Vidman on a rebound after a couple of tough years on, on Saracen. She's you know back on um, a team she knows. So we'll see how that goes. And then. You know, riders like Lisa Bauman, who rides for Comensal, Lazor, originally from XC and Enduro. Um, you know, where's she going to slot in in proceedings? Where's Marine going to slot in? Because Marine's had a really tough time with injuries as well. Are we going to see like a breakout from one of the juniors? Will one of the juniors like Gracie or Phoebe just figure it out and just come absolutely smashing top threes in every time session, you know? So, yeah, I'm excited. Can't wait. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the men's. We finally get to see the result of the much speculated. Uh, Jordan and Jackson entering the elite ranks. And uh, it was sounding like uh, we might not see Jackson at the first round. I think he was in hospital again with um, appendix issues over the weekend. But latest rumour I've heard, I don't know about you because you're much closer to where he's based at the moment, is that he is going to be lining up uh, in Lenzerheide. Do you know much more about that? Uh, well, I uh, rode with him yesterday on plenty. So <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely riding fast, that's for sure. I saw him for about half a turn before I was slip sliding my way sideways and he was just boosting <laughs> off into the distance. So um, I think he said it's still, you know, it looks like he, he'll ride it. He said himself, himself that the decision's not made yet. He has to see how the body responded to yesterday's riding and how it responds to, you know, the weakened lenser height and stuff. So I think they, he still has an infection in the appendix or whatever, but he's been treated for antibiotics in the hospital and then now obviously just a normal course. So hopefully, absolutely, hopefully for him because he just, He's just a kid who loves riding and racing his bike. And I think he loves racing it as much as he loves riding it, you know? So I think for the fans and for him especially, it'll be, you know, a total shame if he doesn't line up um, next week. But ideally, hopefully, all going to plan, he will be he will be riding next week, yeah. And and Jordan Jordan was here in Morrison too. Um, uh, Friday, I saw him out riding. Um, and he was on it as usual. So, yeah, so exciting to see both of those guys get after it. Yeah, can't wait to see that battle unfold. And then we've got some kind of improvements in technology, some new technology coming along. I've seen certainly at the Red Bull Performance Camp uh, some more people using like tracking systems uh, like LitPro or similar to like rugby players use. Any thoughts on on yeah. that side of stuff? Think that's useful? Yeah, absolutely. Like I've look, I, I've I've had and used accelerometers of different varieties. Um, like the catapult system you're probably talking about, which comes from field sports like, you know, soccer and rugby. Um, like anything, how good is your gathering of the data and how good is your analysis of the data is what's important, not just not just the data itself. Um, so the infrastructure to actually gather clean and accurate data and then the analysis and what you actually, what sort of impact you want with the data is what's important. It's not just gathering. Anyone can, you know, measure things, have people jump up and down, get the measuring tape out, you know, take your blood or do whatever. It's what you do with it that's important. But like you said, it's just cool to see that more and more people are are measuring things. Um, and like your LitPro style GPS systems are getting better. Crossbox is an Austrian company that are make, make one that a lot of riders are using now, which has slightly um, more data points, let's say. Uh, gathers, captures more data, which also comes with its own pitfalls when you have a, a track that goes downhill that doesn't stay on the flat like motocross. Because obviously, if your data is inaccurate, if you're capturing more data per millisecond, then it's more inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's pitfalls and everything with capturing data out in the wild, especially in an environment like mountain biking. But you definitely can do some cool stuff as as we have in the past with with different data sets. 
um, especially seeing the accelerometer stuff is really really interesting you know like see, seeing rider load um, there's some good studies out there on it too a good friend of mine uh, Lewis Kirkwood did his PhD using a lot of accelerometer accelerometer data um, so there's definitely some interesting stuff you can do with it um, see braking forces cornering cornering speeds uh, g-forces laterally and that sort of stuff um, see how tracks time was won or lost um and it's so it's really really cool to see people actually putting in the effort like that and more and more people using timing systems like free lap and like other you know uh, actual in-place timing systems that are probably a touch more accurate than gps um and it seems it's just more and more ubiquitous now you know people go out for a training session riders especially when it's team environment go out for a training session it's kind of just like oh we've done two laps it's time to get the times out you know <laughs> so it's cool whereas I, I i remember a period in downhill where like timing happened once a year other than racing you know and it didn't work so it didn't actually happen so <laughs> yeah um yeah super cool to see people actually putting the effort in and yeah but equally then maybe less time for you know staff data analysts whatever whoever's looking at it to look at that data right because the, the the schedule is more compressed so you've got to be efficient you've got to kind of know what you're looking for you've got to have mm. your spreadsheets ready to receive the data or you know whatever software you're using has got to be good to go yeah absolutely so that data infrastructure actually having infrastructure in place where the data is easy to analyze and the answers you're looking for are are you know readily available so you don't have to sift through a big pile of raw numbers or raw graphs uh super important and maybe that's why we're seeing you know more and more people social media is obviously helping with this but we're seeing more people do you know timing and some sort of, of data acquisition type stuff not just on the bike but with riders and bodies as well uh, away from the races because they know we just won't have the time at the races so you know get your answers pose your questions get your answers infer your your changes or what you want to achieve from that and bring it to the races as opposed to gathering the data at the races you know yeah yeah and there's some new new bike stuff coming as well and i guess it depends the advantages from this kind of stuff depends on how mature the technology is and how much time people have had in the off season like it's not always a positive having new kit to ride but mondraker have got a new bike so it'd be interesting to see how uh how that crew get on um they definitely had a, a rough year i guess last year quite a lot of the riders um but that that new bike that has been uh rolling about with covers over various bits uh, looks pretty interesting have you seen anyone on that have they been i think they were over schlabming way weren't they last week yeah leo gang schlabming like the woods i saw i saw brooke and tohoto were over that side of things um and whoever else is riding i think jacob dixon sadly isn't riding um at the moment because he's still suffering with symptoms from uh, concussion yeah. late last year even quite a long time ago now but it, it looks like yeah they've got themselves a new platform which the riders were definitely asking for because the even small gaps in, in effectiveness or efficiency of your of your bike, you know, shows up um, in, in the times and definitely will show up when you have three runs in a weekend. Um, and that, that old, you know, the previous Mondraker was probably one of the best looking bikes out there, one of the best finished bikes out there, but definitely had some interesting characteristics in certain types of holes, certain types of braking scenarios. It did some interesting things. Um, so I'm super excited to see if, if the new bike is is different to that, you know, in those sorts of scenarios. And then obviously yeah. Santa Cruz have a new V10, Pivot have a new lugged, multi-link, multi-chain, multi-whatever bike. <laughs> um, Loic is finally going to race the the prototype um, specialized Demo 27, whatever they call it. Um, Madison Saracen have a new bike, which is kind of just a, an iteration on the older one. Uh, I'm not sure if Scott are bringing anything. Intense have kind of a finalized version of their semi-high pivot rig. Commensal will be on season two of the V5. 
uh, Canyon will be on season three-ish of, of the new sender. So it'll be interesting to see if any of the Canyon teams uh, or riders will bring <clears throat> a prototype bike anytime soon. But definitely there's some, some other bits of tech coming from the Canyon side of things, I think. Um, so yeah, lots of yeah tech wars. I think everyone's just looking for margins everywhere. And riders themselves can now feel that actually the bike does make an enormous difference, you know. Definitely. That pivot looks super interesting. There's not been much of that style of bike on a world cup uh for a while there's a few advantages as far as i understand i think you can you can definitely get more clearance you can run a much smaller chain ring um on that system but i think you could also from uh having a chat with a very good engineer within the business um you could be running a free coaster on that which would enable you to change gears without pedaling mm. so the upper chain could be running all the time um which i guess could be certainly be an advantage uh at world cup it definitely didn't look like it was hanging uh holding bernard up in the clips that i've seen of him riding no. it he looks to be pretty rapid so yeah it's gonna be interesting eh would um would having the chain running the upper chain running all the time so you can change gears create drag or suspension issues or not interesting don't know i don't know because really like i think if you dig into the the track stats um, pedaling is only important when it's important and it's not mm. very important very often. So <laughs> luckily, cause you know, the sport is called downhill. So actually, you know, characteristically the tracks have kind of worked their way towards um, not being very pedally anymore. But when you do have to pedal, it is very important. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah true. It'd be interesting to see how that bike goes. Cool, man. Well, we should probably wrap up. I, for one, I'm very excited. I'm gutted that I'm not going to be in Lenzerheide, but uh, also not that bothered about spending £36 on a burger and a, and a drink like last year. Um, but yeah, it's going to be super exciting to watch. I had, I had half a chicken one year at a barbecue. Half a chicken at a barbecue one year at Lenzerheide. I got half a chicken, half a potato, and it was like 49 francs. <laughs> Insane, eh? Insane. It's a lovely place, but it's very it's expensive. Place. It's just not cheap, yeah. What's your um? What's your prediction then? I'm going to put you on the spot. Let's go. Oh, interesting. Okay. Top three. Um, oh, come on. Women, Let's go. <laughs> mm, all right. Top three. Wow. I have absolutely, if I'm honest, I have absolutely no idea. Like, I feel like both categories are so open and it's just going to depend who, who kind of has the right mindset, who's, can deal with the change and just kind of keep it together over the weekend like who's well prepared <sighs> who knows i mean yeah, there's that the, the 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 french three i guess of amory loic and loris uh, that are always going to be hard yeah. to look beyond um I, I feel like all of those are likely to come out at a fair pace but then there's loads of other riders that are able to be consistent, able to put down speed from early in a weekend, which I feel like is going to be maybe more important than, than previously. Bernard's always done that well. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a, a good time training rider and he often carries that momentum through and he's obviously in a really good sort of headspace, been riding loads of, loads of downhill. So that would be interesting. I think Jackson and Jordan will definitely put it in the mix, but whether we'll see them take a top three straight off I think there's so much hype and so much pressure that it'll depend how they how they respond to that and whether they kind of go too hard. Um, so yeah, I think 
it's super hard to say in the men's and then the women's also like there's so many not wild cards but so much unknowns you know there's riders like you say that are coming back from periods of time away that are super capable that we just don't know where any of them are at that it would be really hard mm. i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised to see rachel in the top three i wouldn't be surprised to see tani in the top three same same for mine like i mean this is a very political answer that i'm just avoiding giving you a top three but i don't know what do you what do you think no i think you know gi giving an actual top three prediction that you're um you know somewhat happy with or sure of is impossible it's we just don't know enough no no one's if this was round three of the season then I, i'd expect you to have half an idea but mm. because it's round one and we've had the majority of a year off then actually yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy to but i think looking at you know the off-season racing we have done um cairns national rounds lord or not cairns sorry rotorua mm -hmm. uh, national rounds various national rounds around around the world Uh, Lord, that sort of stuff. You can definitely see there's some of the usual suspects. Uh, Amory, Thibaut de Prella, Loic Bruni. Loris Vergi is probably on a slightly later build. Loic Bruni definitely riding more aggressive and faster than I've ever seen early season. So really, really wants it. And definitely will kind of feel the, not the pressure from his teammates, but the teammates are going to do well. Finn was probably the fastest guy on paper when he stayed upright last year. You know, had a couple of crashes and qualifyings and then had the two concussions to book in the seasons. But when he was on it, he was on it, as we saw in Monsonan. So he's definitely, you know, in, in for victories. Um, so there's, yeah, Andy Kolb. Has Andy, will Andy find an extra little gear to bring him consistently to P1 instead of P4? Uh, Charlie Hatton, will he finally, like, figure out the difference between a P4 qualies and a P15 finals and flip that around? Yeah. You know, will... Will semis and finals help riders like Charlie who struggle a little bit? Will Dakota Norton and Aaron Gwynn, both of those guys on the podium the last race, everyone's swiftly forgotten that one, but those guys really made the most of Val Soda, you know? And obviously Dakota was en route to top three overall in Lenzerheide last year before throwing it away. Yeah. So oh, like you said, yeah, impossible to predict, but you can definitely see from last year's form and then this year's preseason form, you can get yourself a a batch of 20 riders to put into your top three. Yeah, no, like a batch of maybe... Eight riders. You could probably whittle it down to eight guys and say, like, look, these eight guys should be in the top ten. Yeah, you know, but, but there's also could. there's riders that you, like we haven't mentioned that are so capable. You know, Troy Brosnan, Luca Shaw. Luca's yeah. had a, a few Shaw. kind of challenges, yeah. but is a easily a, a podium guy on a, on a good weekend. Yep. Like, it's hard to know one one rider that I would throw in the mix actually is Laurie Green. Like, watching the way Laurie's riding yeah. at the moment. It's, yeah. I mean, it's so good to watch. That new bike seems to suit him really well. Wow. And he always says, like, when he rides, when he feels he can ride in a cocky way and the bike's just working for him, then he's, you know, he's hard to beat. And it, that, yeah. it looks like he's got that swagger at the moment. And that totally. Fort William time yeah. was insane. Yeah, absolutely. Putting putting down some, like, even watching him ride here the last couple of days in Morzine was, was super impressive. Uh, riding like he was early last year. And then obviously he had a huge dip mid-season last year where he got sick, kind of progressively sicker like multiple little illnesses back to back and stuff probably just putting in too much work really when it was time to not you know so if he if he can manage if the the bike looks like it's it's more rideable than the older v10 it's more versatile it's easier to push it it's yeah. a little bit more flexible um that sort of thing so there's probably more margin for error so both him and jackson like phenomenal and then greg Minar, like three races back to back 
old, old Jedi himself, Yoda, whatever his name is, just sitting on his cold stool up the back of the Stargate, you know, watching the kids implode in semis and he's going to come out there and get in the podium first race probably, you know, so. Who knows? And he, he put down a storming run of lens right last year. He was on the podium, you know, along with Andy Kolb, so. Yeah, yeah, never put, never bet against Greg. What about the women's field then? Because that's almost, almost hard as cool, I think. Those, those top three that we spoke about, so, um, well, top four, but Miriam's not racing. So the top the top three, so Valley, Cami, and Nina, I think have, you know, probably the most pace and have had consistent preparation, you know, right through last year, consistent, and then right building through the off-season to the pre-season to where we are now, like a couple of days out. Uh, those three are definitely kind of the, the ladies to watch, the ladies to beat, it looks like. Uh, especially Cami can put down a race run. Valley seems like she started to figure out what effort levels and approach work for her. So that's cool. And, and Nina's kind of just still progressing, it looks like. So, um, and obviously on, on a new bike that, that she really likes as well. So those three ladies. And then you've got Marine coming back, Tani coming back, Rachel coming back. They need to find their feet before they can really figure out how to put a race run together, probably. And then you got the juniors. I'm I'm really excited about the junior girls. We've never had this many fast juniors coming through. We've always just had a, a phenom like a, a valley come through and just what do whatever an amazing rider does. Uh, so having a little bit more of a battle uh, between contemporaries and peers coming through to a new category that's going to be cool as well. So yeah, it's going to be a good weekend. However, it pans out. Well, uh, thanks. As always, for sitting down, taking some time to share your wisdom and chat about the upcoming race. It's going to be a super exciting weekend. Uh, looking forward to seeing how it goes down. Um, we'll catch up again ahead of uh, the next round in Leergang, which is also not very far away. Yep. Exciting. Nice one. All right. All cheers, right. Chris. All right, that's it for this episode with Chris and our first Maxxis Tires pre-race show of the year. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thank you to Maxxis for supporting this season. Maxxis have got incredible tires for you no matter how or where you ride. So head over to maxxis.com or visit your local Maxxis dealer and check them out. Here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow so you never miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you want to get copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. If you want to help support the show, then you can also set up a regular donation over at patreon.com forward slash downtimepodcast. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>